0: This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. Hey, Ark Church! Welcome, to Ark Online. Joy and I are not able to be with you this week, but I have a very special guest speaker for you tonight. I think you're really going to enjoy. Now, it's, it's an age-old principle that says hire people who are smarter than you are. Now, before you jump to conclusions, that that's not in, uh, a hard task for me. I, he really is smarter. And the person I'm talking about tonight is one of our art kids leaders. His name is Dwayne Reiner. Now, here's the deal if you can teach kids, I promise you, you can teach adults because you have to make it simple for kids and and break down complex things and make it easy to understand. And I don't think anybody does that better than Dwayne. And yet, he's also the guy who has translated the book of John from the Greek, you know, the actual Greek. And so, I really think you're going to learn a lot. Um, I've just always been intrigued by his perspective, his research, his understanding, his master's degree. He's he's a bright guy, and I really believe he'll be a blessing to you. He's been a great blessing to the church. So, give a big hand clap and a welcome for Dwayne Reiner.
1: It's really nice to be able to follow a video like that, I have to tell you, (laughs) and that's a blessing. I need videos like that everywhere I go just to play before I walk in the room. It helps. All right, so I wanted to start tonight by being a little bit provocative. I'm going to split the country into two kinds of people. And no, don't worry, I'm not talking about politics. Even I'm not going to go there. No, I'm talking about vacations. Okay, I have a theory that there's two types of vacation people in the world. There are beach people and mountain people. And, okay, technically there's a third-party candidate. It's called dads who are willing to go anywhere as long as there's a golf course nearby. <laughs> oh, right, there's also Disney people. I forgot about them. You know, we better not talk about those Disney people. Those Disney vacation people are a passionate bunch. Actually, here's the truth. I, I, because my aunt lived in the Orlando area. We went to Disney several times, so I kind of thought of myself as a Disney vacation guy until I met my wife. Now, my wife, Stacy, she is a total beach person, so she can go and sit out on the beach for hours. She just loves soaking up the sun, listening to the waves. That is how she decompresses and relaxes, and I have to be honest, for me, It was a little bit of a challenge when I started going on vacation with her family because I was not used to that. My family, we went on vacation. It was like a race to the finish from Monday to Sunday, you're doing stuff. But hers was a little bit different. So I I kind of embraced it. And over the years, I got used to this uh, slower pace at the beach, I actually started liking it. I made strides. I'd actually, this last year, I actually sat and relaxed in a chair. It was kind of amazing. But I have to admit I haven't totally given over to that. I mean, after a little while of uh, sitting in the chair, I do have to get up and do something. I just can't completely sit there. So usually, what I like to do is get in the water and uh, I like to float in the ocean. I just find that really relaxing because really, a sunny day at the beach is just a just a nice day to be alive. It's just a wonderful place to be. I like to get in the water. I like to lean back and I like to float. And then you know you got the sky above you, it's relaxing. Sometimes I like my, my head to kind of bob a little bit, like right here, kind of bob under the water. So you get the silence. I like the silence of the water that helps me to relax a bit. And so I kind of just enjoy sitting there, but I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but it happens to me a lot when you do that, what happens is all of a sudden, you know, however much time passes, You pop up and you look around because you actually have no idea where you are. And you look around because you're trying to figure it out because you didn't move your arms. You just kind of did this. It wasn't like you were swimming and you weren't setting out in a direction. You just somehow drifted there. And then you get up and you're sort of disoriented and all of the condos look like the builders just went copy paste so you're trying to figure out where am I at and it can be a little disorienting and and you know but I will say this it's one thing when it's you cuz you think well I'll find my way I'll be okay but when it's your kids you do get a little bit nervous about them like when my when we take my son and or he take a friend with him we always had that conversation about remembering don't go too far, it's gonna, the current is gonna take you down there, I need you, and then we would give him like a fixed point on the beach, and a lot of times we go with with my in-laws to the beach, and so his pops, who he's very close to, that he had this blue umbrella, and this blue umbrella was kind of like his fixed point to look to, so like if he goes too far, you know, because kids, they get to playing, they're not thinking about that. And all of a sudden they're floated way down. And so you have to call him back and you say, hey, come back, you're gonna go out into the water, call him back over and you point to that umbrella and you're like, this is where you need to be because I don't want him floating off into the Gulf of Mexico. Okay, which I know that's a joke, but you can really go a lot farther in the ocean than you plan to. I was actually reading about this fisherman who was uh, in Mexico and this was in 2012. So he's in a boat, sets out to fish and hits this storm. And it must've been a rough one because it knocked out his motor, it knocked out his radio, it knocked out all of his electronics. So he's basically just a sitting duck, just drifting. So get this, he drifts for 433 days until he finally swims ashore in the Marshall Islands, 6,700 miles from where he began. Isn't that crazy? You know, sometimes in the ocean, we drift a few hundred yards and sometimes we drift halfway around the world. Have you ever the though, thought of your walk with God a little bit like that? Sometimes you feel a little bit like, sometimes I'm there, sometimes a little bit away and sometimes I feel like I'm way away. I mean, to be honest, This last couple of years, I would say, probably has been that way for a lot of us, right? I mean, it's been a tough couple of years. I mean, it didn't start out that way for us. I don't know how your your life was two years ago. In 2019, I felt really good about things. I mean, I felt really good spiritually. In fact, if I had to describe it, I I like movies, so I use a lot of movie quotes. So, if you'll forgive me, I'm going to use kind of a, a, a movie quote from the 80s. Here, And it's one that sums up how I felt spiritually in 2019. There was this movie, that's kind of classic, with a wrestler was the star, Rowdy Roddy Piper. I was a big wrestling fan in the 80s. And he came, he goes into this, I think it's a bank or something. And he says, I am here to kick butt and chew bubble gum. And I'm all out of bubble gum. And I love that line. Because that's how I felt spiritually. That's what I was ready to do. I mean... Have you, uh, I mean, I was so confident. I was pretty sure Satan was posting hashtag not today, Dwayne, not today. (laughs) Have you ever had those mountaintop experiences spiritually? You're just like, you wake up and you feel like you're Maria in the sound of music, dancing on the Alps, singing the hills are alive. That's how you feel when you face the day. And that's how I felt. I mean, 2019, going into 2020, I felt like a spiritual Chuck Norris. I mean, I was ready to take on whoever. And then all of a sudden, there was this little thing that happened. What was it again? Oh, right, the pandemic. You've heard of that, right? So this thing hit. And at first, you know, a lot of us, we didn't really know what to make of it. It was just weird. It was strange. You know, like, well, it'll be over in a couple of weeks. And you had all these thoughts about it. And then what was weird is this, the, the, the more it lingered, the more things changed, the weirder it got. And what I noticed is the weirder it got, the less strong I felt. And it was kind of this odd sort of thing where I'm like, why am I feeling this way? And then it's just like week after week, month after month, I felt a little less like Chuck Norris I felt a little less like the guy who was tough. I was a little bit just kind of feeling out of my element. And the interesting thing was I, I kind of knew it. And I sort of, I would say it though. I'd be like, I feel off. I don't know if you ever do that. And he's like, I feel off. For me, I'd even say, you know, I feel disconnected from God. I, feel, I just kept saying that over and over again, which I have to be honest, is not the most helpful thing to do. It's kind of like saying to yourself over and over again, I need to lose weight. Nobody's ever lost weight by saying to themselves, every single day I need to lose weight. It doesn't really work that way. When you speak the problems, it doesn't really do anything but remind you you have problems. And at that moment, I was, um, I didn't realize that what I really needed to be doing was speaking solutions, not problems. But that's what I was doing. So, I'm going to break from what I would call really good storytelling. You see, at this moment, if I were a good storyteller, I would be leaving you with a certain amount of tension so that you didn't bolt for the door because you would be on the edge of your seat waiting to know what's going to happen in the end. And so what I'm going to do is at the beginning of my sermon, I'm going to jump to the very end and ruin all good storytelling and tell you God has a solution. He has a way to fix the drift. And what's kind of comforting for me a little bit as I I thought about this was the realization that we're not the first Christians to have dealt with this problem. In fact, even in the Bible, the earliest Christians actually dealt with some similar situations that we deal with. That temptation to drift, that where you kind of just get pulled away. So what I want to do is, dig into scripture and let's see what the Bible said to them and also says to us right now. So in the Bible, there are a lot of examples that are given to us. Some of the examples are examples to follow and some of these are examples to, to learn from. And so it's really important to remember that when you're reading, especially in the Old Testament, when you're reading about these characters and these people, don't assume that just because they made it into the Bible that you're intended to copy what they did. Not every example is a good example. And in fact, that's what happened in the uh, book of Hebrews. The writer in the book of Hebrews actually uses an Old Testament, Old Testament example to show us what not to do, and that's the Israelites. So just in case you are not familiar with the story, maybe you haven't watched Charlton Heston in his uh, 10 Commandments classic. I will give you the gist of the story in a very succinct way. I'm used to teaching kids, but also even two and three-year-olds, so you have to be very succinct with them. So here's the gist of the story. God calls Moses to go into Egypt and lead the people out of slavery. So Moses goes to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. God shows up in a powerful way and Pharaoh decides to let them go. And then they leave, they walk out, free people, but then Pharaoh changes his mind, sends his army after him, and they corner him at the Red Sea. You remember this famous scene in the movie his arms are wide open, the Red Sea splits, the Israelites walk through on dry land, and then Pharaoh's army is not so lucky. So they walk out, a free people. God delivered them. And then you know, the story too, probably heard this where they're hungry and God sends bread from heaven and feeds them. I mean, God really showed up in some powerful ways for the Israelites. So you would think that they would have very little reason to be upset. Very little reason to drift away from God because I mean, they're, they're fed, they're free and they're following God. What more can you ask for? But then God led them to camp at a place where there was no drinking water. And that's when things went off the rails. They got mad. They grumbled, they complained, they went to Moses, they were accusing things. In fact, if you look in Exodus uh, chapter 17, verse seven, it actually gives us a little bit of a taste of what they thought. They asked, is the Lord among us or not? They actually were questioning, if God had left them. You know, whenever you're reading the Bible, it's really helpful when you're reading about someone that you think about them a little bit, ask some questions. Who are they? What were they thinking? Why were they saying this? What was their past? What What was putting them in the place to even think like this? So thinking about the Israelites and their story, go back a little bit further. You'll remember they spent about four centuries in a country that didn't worship God. So it seems possible, I'd say even likely, that some, if not most of those people, many of those people, had been influenced by things like the false religion that was in Egypt. And in those ancient cultures, it was commonplace to take your little g, God, with you because it was a statue. It'd kind of travel around with you. If you went to a new place, you just Carried the God with you. But now the Israelites were being challenged to meet the real God, the big G God. And this is the God who who is actually the living God, but he's also the God you don't see right in front of you. He's not a statue, he's real. And I think that in that moment, they were challenged with thinking and conceiving of God in a new way. And so instead of meeting that challenge, they struggled. Because whenever you face a challenge in life, you have a couple of options you can take. When you face a challenge, you can either push through and grow with God, or you can push away and drift away from God. Those really are the two options that we face each time something happens that it throws a kink in life. And unfortunately, they chose option number two. In fact, that's where the writer of Hebrews, he quotes from the Psalms in Hebrews 3.10, it says, their hearts are always going astray. The people of God bolted from God. Now, physically, they were actually still following God. But in their hearts, they had drifted away. Their feet went wherever God told them to go, but they lacked faith in God. And it caught up to them. You see, they were eventually, they, this generation of Israelites got to the edge of the land that God had promised to give them, a country of their own. I mean, it was there for the taking. And at that very moment, they said no. And so a whole generation missed out on God's blessings because they were afraid to go all in on God. And so what we learned from the Israelites is that you can actually sit in church, you can go to classes, you can even go home and rewatch this sermon on YouTube And still drift away from God if you're not allowing what you hear to get into your heart. You see, you can physically be near God, so to speak, in in this church and among other believers, and yet in your heart be a million miles away. So think about what the Israelites were doing. So they're questioning God. They're in this place where they don't have water. They're questioning God's, and and they're saying things about God that weren't accurate. They didn't match reality. They're asking, is God even among us? They're thinking God had abandoned them, but think of some of the facts surrounding it. Now, if you go back to the story, you might remember that as the Israelites moved, their camp moved, they had uh, a cloud by day, they had fire at night and that was, that was a symbol of God's presence with them. I mean, God provided for them, gave them food. He took care of them. He even protected them and gave them victory over armies that were trying to, to destroy them. So the Israelites believed something about God that wasn't real. I mean, it felt real, but it didn't match reality. And if we're honest, there's probably times where we felt like the Israelites, where we believed things about God that didn't match reality. But it felt very real to us. And in those moments, it becomes so much easier to drift away from Him because we actually believe He's the one that left. Think about hide and seek. Go back to your childhood. I'm around kids a lot, so I'm very familiar with hide and seek. Um, My dad's a pastor. And so, growing up, uh, he pastored a church, and it had a scary basement. Now, if you went to, if you grew up in a church in the '70s or '80s, you too may have experienced a scary basement. I have no idea why churches had scary basements back then, but I'm very thankful our church doesn't have a scary basement here for our kids to be terrorized by. I mean, seriously, there was one part where you would come to it, and it was you were in the light, and this dark crevasse and then there was light on the other side and I seriously was tempted to pray every time I tried to walk through it because I didn't think I was going to make it out the other side it was like traversing a horror movie every time I went to Sunday school I was freaked out but was a great place to play hide and seek (laughs) and there is an upside in fact you get lost there for days it was a lot of fun so when we you know how we all play hide and seek well sometimes we have this conception of God that we're sort of playing hide and seek with him. Like we're counting, you know, we turn around from him, one, two, three. And all the while while we're counting, God's doing this as fast as he can to get away from us because he's trying to get out of there and then we're left kind of wondering, where'd he go? But it's actually the exact opposite. You see, um, the, uh, the reality is that God is really out in the open saying, come and get me. Think of him as the worst hide and seek player in the history of the world. I know that's weird to say something about God like that, but he really, really, really doesn't wanna hide from you. He actually wants to be found by you. He would lose the game every single time because he's out there saying, come and get me, I'm right here. In fact, look at Ephesians 2.13. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Brought near. So last Christmas, our family got to try out the, um, this Oculus Quest uh, virtual reality helmet. Some of you guys may even ha- may have one of these. They're pretty fun. In fact, if you've never done it, it's, it's quite interesting because it's this headset that you wear. And so you have the, the, the audios right there beside you. And Everything is completely covered, so all you can see is the screen. So it feels like, even though it's just this headset, it feels like it's life-size. And so because it's uh, virtual reality, you can turn 360 degrees and see the game, and when you physically move, you're actually moving inside the game. It's really a wild experience if you've never done it before. And so one of the games we tried was this really interesting one. It's called Richie's Plank Experience. And so in this game, you ride up in an elevator to the top of a skyscraper. And when the doors open, let me show you what it looks like. That's what you see. It's a plank overlooking a city. Now you would think, you look at that, you know that is not a picture. I mean, you know I didn't go out and take a picture downtown Houston, right? You understand that's a a computer generated image. However... When you have that virtual reality headset on, your senses completely change. In fact, if I didn't want to go home tonight and be able to live peacefully in my house, I would tell you how my ri- wife reacted the first time she tried it on. let me tell you, it was interesting. The things she said and did were surprising. <laughs> but I'm not gonna do that because I wanna go home. But, my in-laws live hundreds of miles away, so I will tell you about them tonight. <laughs> they freaked out. It was the funniest thing. My wife recorded it because we were rolling to watch them with this headset on. And they're, they're in our living room on the rug, but they're doing this in midair. They're just, because in the game, you think you're holding on to like the side of the elevator. So they're like reaching like this and like that. And then they would take their foot and they would do this and then they would come back and then they would do that and come back and they would just, it was totally wrecking them in that moment because they really felt in their senses that they were in danger. In reality, they were just sitting, they were standing on our rug in the living room on the floor. It's a one-story house, so they weren't even high up and they were experiencing that, it it totally fooled them into believing something that wasn't real. And what was interesting is it's, in their minds, it felt real. And so they acted as if it were real. Something doesn't have to be real for us to act on those feelings. And so we have to act according to reality instead of what we feel. So here's the thing, you might... Feel disconnected from God. I did. I understand. I felt that. But what Satan loves to do is convince us that that disconnected feeling means that God's abandoned us. So he likes to to get us to think things that aren't real and then act on those feelings. And when you feel abandoned by God, that's when it's really easy to give up hope. So let's go back to the Israelites. So think about them. They felt abandoned, right? They're saying, is the Lord even among us? So when they felt abandoned by God and they acted on that, it became very easy for them to abandon God's promise because they felt like God was already gone. Why not abandon what he said to do? He's not here anyway. So if you feel like you've been deserted, you're gonna act that way. So what you have to begin to do is to tell yourself, God is nearby. I haven't been deserted. He's not hiding from me. He wants to be found by me, that Christ brings me near to him. And so you begin to say, so the first step of moving towards God, when you feel like you've kind of drifted down the ocean, is to remind yourself that God actually is nearby. And that this God actually wants to connect with me. And that he hasn't abandoned me. And then that allows you to begin to accept the truth that comes from God's word. Hebrews 2.1 says, we must pay the most careful attention therefore to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. So what do we hear? We hear the message of Jesus. In fact, in the Bible it says that faith comes by hearing God's word. And so the message of Jesus actually builds our faith so that we can actually believe true things about God. So we need that dose of truth, the Bible. Because there's things we say to ourselves when we're feeling disconnected from God, like, God doesn't like me. Or you say to yourself, why would God even wanna be around me? I'm not worth God's time. And you think those things to yourself and that's what you begin to believe. And, and, and so what we need is something that's louder than Satan's lies. And that's God's word. In fact, look at Hebrews 4.12. It says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When I was about four, maybe five years old, I can't remember for sure, but my brother had gotten a new fishing lure. And I guess because I was four or five, I was intrigued because i I'm pretty sure it looked like a little fish. And so I thought it was interesting and I picked it up and I bet you can guess what happened next. The hook goes right through my finger. I don't totally remember everything about it. I kind of remember going to the emergency room and getting it cut off. It was razor sharp. And that's how I think of God's word. You see, it is something that pierces through our bad thinking, our wrong attitudes to help us get to what is true and what is right. The description in that verse where it talks about um, soul and spirit, joints and marrow, what that, that description is basically saying is, every part of you, there's no part of you that's not susceptible to be pricked by God's truth. And that's really good because it means we can let our guard down when we read the Bible and just let it come in and just get rid of that bad stuff, clean it out and fill it with good things, things that build us up, things that teach us truth. I think of it a little bit in this way. If you're, maybe when you were a kid, you went to the fair and they had the funhouse mirrors there and you stand in there and it makes you look all wobbly and weird. And nowadays they sort of have that on your phone. The social media apps, they have these filters that people put and it just makes you look crazy. So imagine if you believed when you looked at that filter or you looked in the funhouse mirror that you believed you really looked like that. It would affect your actions. It would affect how you perceived other people thought about you. And so you would do things that weren't in accordance with reality. Well, what God's word is, is it's like a mirror that shows you actually who you are and reveals truth so that you can behave and think and act according to God's truth. So you can actually think with clarity. Now, if we wanna move back to God, we need to remember he wants to connect with us. We also need to remember that we need his truth, but we also need something else. We need each other. And the reason being is that, I, I wanna show you this verse in Hebrews 10, verse 25. It says, not giving up meeting together as some in their ha- are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So a community of strong believers encourages each other to experience God's presence. So it's like, we're like a team who picks each other up, fills the gap. It's like uh, football, if, you're, if you follow a football team, you know that one game, the defense is winning the game for the team, and the next game, the defense can fall flat, and it has to be the offense that picks them up. And that's what a church is like. We're picking each other's slack up. We're helping each other. We're um, assisting. It's, it reminded me of the story where Stacy and I were, when we were in college, when we were dating, we were in Georgia, and we drove over to Athens, home of the University of Georgia, Go dogs. And... We went, we wanted to explore the city. We'd never really driven through the city by ourselves. And I'm telling you, this was before GPS. I think this was before MapQuest. We drove through that town for hours and I had no idea where we were. And it's not just like we were, couldn't find where we were going. I couldn't find how to get out of the city. I wanted to go home and I couldn't get out of there. I was like desperate just to go back to college. And I literally could not find a road that would take me out. It was just a never ending circle. And so what helped me in that moment was having her with me. We encouraged each other. Sometimes in very loud and colorful ways. (laughs) Just kidding. No, I'm really not. We did. But it was helpful to have her there because I think if she weren't there, I'd still be driving around in Athens looking for my way out. But you know what she did? She actually helped me because she told me I needed to stop and buy a map. And then we got out of there. (laughs) There's no such thing as a lone wolf Christian, we work together. In fact, Jesus says where two or more are gathered, I'm gonna be there. My presence is gonna be there, which means if you're feeling disconnected from God, get with other Christians because Jesus is gonna be there. So lastly, instead of, so now we've talked about how to get closer to God. So now what do we do? What there's, see, there's, we've talked about what we think, how we feel, what our input is, but now there's something we gotta do. We gotta persevere. You see, we gotta fight, we gotta fight the current that's trying to push us away from Jesus. In fact, Hebrews 3.14 says, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction to the very end. That word share has the idea of holding on to like, a, like if you bought stock in a company, so to speak. That's sort of the idea of it. And you hold on to it. You don't let it go, you, you take care of it. And that's what we do with Jesus. I'm reminded of the story of our son, Nathan. When he was two, he went to preschool They showed him The Lion King and he freaked out. But to be fair, they only showed him half the movie that day. So it ended with the dad getting killed. So in his two-year-old mind, it was the scariest movie that ever existed. And he did not want to go back the next day. So my wife had this brilliant idea. She gave him a rock. And she said, hold on to this rock. And whenever you get scared, hold it and think about us. So that next morning I dropped him off and he was really scared. And as I was leaving, I saw him, his hand was in his pocket and I saw him gripping that rock. He persevered through the difficulty because he held on to us. And that's what we do with Jesus. We're faithful to trust in him, to hold on to him and keep going because our faith is in a faithful God. And here's the thing, when the Israelites grumbled, when they complained, do you notice who they didn't talk to? God. They talked to Moses. You see, the Christian life is a life where we're able to fight because this life is not all on our shoulders. The fight is not all ours. Yes, we do have to persevere, but we have help. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, we're able to have help when we need it. And I love how it says to approach God with confidence. That word can also be translated boldness. And I struggled sometimes with that idea of approaching God confidently. And I wondered how I could do it. And it came to me when I thought of positions. Where is my position with God? Think about it this way. If when you were a kid and you went to someone's house that for the very first time, if you were like me, grew up like me, you did not go into their kitchen and open their fridge and take something. No, you weren't gonna do that because you weren't in the family. In your own house, all bets were off. Open the door, grab what you want, kick it with your foot on the way out. Why could you do that? Because you were a member of the family. You didn't pay for that food, but you were given the rights and the privileges of having that food. And what I'm telling you, as a child of God, you're given the rights and the privileges to approach God with boldness and with confidence to believe that when you need help, he will help you. So you're not doing this alone. You know, 2020, 2021, they were a reminder to me of how easy it is to drift. It's kind of like weighing, you know, when you make a New Year's resolution and you weigh on January 2nd, you look at the scale and you're like, I did not expect to see that number. (laughs) Sometimes we drift from God and we did not expect to be where we are. But the good news is, is even though we didn't set out in that path, that doesn't have to be our future. We're not stuck where we are. We can change the narrative, we can flip the script, we can write a new ending. Where we are is not where we have to be. And that's the good news about the Christian life is when you connect with God, when you get into his word, when you're around other Christians, when you persevere and fight and go to him for help, you can connect with him and he will change your life. When Nathan, my son would Wade out into the water and get a little too far. I would go in after him. I'd say, Come on. I'd walk with him against the current. I'd point him to that blue umbrella. Come on, let's go there. And that's what God's doing for us tonight. If you're feeling off, He's wading out there to get you. You see, here's the thing some of you guys, you're here and you're tracking. You feel spiritually strong. You're with Jesus, you see it, and you know what? I hope this message is just a reminder to keep at it. Well done. Some of you guys, though, maybe you're realizing for the first time, I'm, I'm a few hundred yards down the beach, and I wasn't intending to be there. That's okay. See, God's not here to condemn you, he's here to help you. So tonight, this is your chance to just turn around. If he's nearby, he's going to help you. You're not making that walk by yourself. And then there may be some of you guys who, well, you feel like I'm in the middle of the ocean and I have no idea where I'm at. You know what? God has a plan for you too. In fact, it really begins with a simple response. Three letters. Yes. Let's bow our heads. If you're here tonight and And you feel disconnected from God. Maybe you've never connected to him. You've never given your life to him. And tonight you want to make that choice. We want to give you that opportunity. Or maybe you're here and you have uh, been with God, but you feel disconnected from him and you want to come back. This is your chance too. We're going to pray a prayer together and believe that God can change lives. So if you're here tonight and you want to say yes to Jesus, just let us know by raising your hand. Just to let us know that you want to make that choice tonight to say yes to him. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to pray a prayer together. And I'm going to ask everyone to pray. Because remember, as Christians, as a church, we encourage each other. So we're going to pray this prayer together. And just repeat after me. Dear God. God. I know mankind needs a savior. And I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe. You're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven and I have a new relationship with you. I'm a new creation creation. in Christ because I've said yes to you. I want to just pray for everyone. Lord, I just pray that tonight we would connect with you, that we would find strength in you and that we would walk with you in any and every situation, trusting that you're taking us to a good place and that we can have a deep relationship with you. No matter where we are, we believe you're with us. In your name we pray, amen.